Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Homebrew Schmomebrew, a podcast that features conversations among people who love games. As you know, we are here with season two. Things are a little bit different this season. We're uh, talking to people about their game background, but then we also are doing a special topic each episode. Uh, this episode, we have Russ here, who is uh, YumDM on Twitter, and he's going to be talking to us about third edition D&D, which, uh, you know, for all of those of you who were uh, around at the time. Third edition came out in 2000, so I've been thinking a little bit about uh, my favorite things from the early 2000s. Um, he's not from the early 2000s, but he clearly remembers them. Our other host, Rodney, is with us today. Hey, Rodney. Hey, 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 hey. How's it going? What do you love about the early 2000s? Probably the fact that I'm no longer in the early 2000s. <laughs> that was a, that was a rough, t- rough time for me, actually. Uh, let's get real dark and deep with it. Oh, man. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I was just going to talk about, I love the fact that you could just add a neon green X to the beginning of anything and it'd be new and fabulous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely definitely the era of uh, extreme being in every single media property out there. Yeah, I'm playing a, a character in a uh, post-apocalyptic game right now who's a monster energy drink salesman uh, who's super into extreme sports so like the 2000s have been kind of on my mind lately i also loved uh like uh i don't know if you remember but uh that was season two of south park and every episode was whatever 2000 like they had quintuplets 2000 they had which uh, was a which was a takeoff at the time that every single thing had 2000 at the end of it for a couple years yeah yeah i remember dracula 2000 was an example oh Good Lord. Hey, Russ, what was your favorite thing about the 2000s? I would say the internet, to be honest. Um, It was a time when the internet was just becoming, I guess, popular. And but it was before social media. It was before blogging really took off. You could get your Angel Fire site. Yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of creativity happening because a lot of the there was no sort of click a few buttons and here's your website. All the websites out there were done by, you know, graphic designers or, 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 you know, just people at home who had those skills, who had HTML skills. And there was some really amazing uh, sites around that time. And I, I just have fond memories of staying up with my dial up modem um, <laughs> here in Australia. Um, you guys probably had broadband by then. Um, uh, and then, you know, just, yeah, just looking at these amazing sites and reading all this stuff that people have been putting out. Um, so that's probably my favorite memory from around that time, I think. Yeah, I was, I, I was in, uh, you know, a small town in the Midwest in the early 2000s. So we were still with you with the dial up, like yeah, you weren't alone there. Yeah. Like the this, three just days. That, just that music that the dial up, the sound the dial up motor made is just, in, in, you know, emblazoned on my brain. Uh, we have a character in my, uh, Fate of Cthulhu game right now who can, uh, uh, speak with machines and we decided that whenever she does so that's the sound coming out of her mouth nice <laughs> <laughs> but uh i know that you published some pretty cool zines like uh could you take a second to introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know about uh what content you have out there yeah so i'm russ from yum dm so yum dm is sort of i guess the the brand that i go under um, the zine I publish is called D12 Monthly. Um, I publish one every month. Um, it's it, I call it a a, a D&D uh, edition agnostic zine. So I, I try not to put too much, too many rules in there as such from a, from one edition to another. I try and it's, it's sort of a, a 
I guess uh, the inspiration I got was from reading old Dragon magazines. So I'm I'm a bit of a collector of the old Dragon and Dungeon magazines, and I love, I love them. And them. I love reading them. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that back, and I I just couldn't find anything online at the time, and so I just decided to do it myself. Um, and that a lot of the responses I got back um, after I first started was, "Oh, these remind me of Dragon magazines," and blah blah blah. And, and I just thought, man, I hit the I hit the sweet spot. So that that was good. So um, it, it's a little bit OSR <clears throat> focused because I, I think that's kind of where my gameplay is at the moment. Um, so to the old school Renaissance sort of style. Um, so it's a little of a mix, I guess, between I'm, I'm a bit of a mixture with my gaming. I'm a bit of a mix between third and old school stuff, which I could probably explain a little bit. Um, cause I kind of see third as a bit of an evolution of, of the OSR, um, you know, first and second editions. So, um, yeah, so the zines are sort of agnostic, but they kind of have those, um, I guess the, the feel of that old school. Cause I really like the old school black and white art and the line art and all that sort of stuff as well. So it sort of has that feel to it, I guess as well. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, you know, I grew up playing second ed, like we played it for a really long time. Yeah. And, uh, I remember with the books, like that's how we remembered where things were. It's like, you know, the saving throws it's on, it's across the, it's on the opposite page from the picture of the woman that's in blue and white and <laughs> you know instead of page number vague yeah. description of whatever art was yeah. there like i, yeah, I love they that they should have put that too. in the contents yeah. <laughs> next to the picture with the girl with the gold bikini yeah that would be great i could just see how that would be helpful <laughs> but uh yeah that i have really mixed feelings about the uh pathfinder adventure paths because of that like i loved dragon magazine and dungeon magazine and collected them for years and uh i like the adventure paths i collected those for a while too but they it's just not the same as getting a dragon magazine you know yeah i, th I, I think the the and, and you can see the evolution of Dragon Magazine as the different editions came out too. So there's, and I have my favorite periods within those Dragon Magazines. So my, one of my favorite period. So they were bringing out, um, and it was before Paizo came out with their with their version of, of Dragon. They sort of took over the publishing from Wizards um, when sort of after 3.5 hit. And that, but that third edition before 3.5 hit into, I really love those editions. So it was some really good, good stuff in there yeah it's i know really a, it's really a shame kind of the younger gamers can't really experience uh getting getting a new magazine every month because dragon magazine just you, you look forward to it so much and had so much cool stuff in it and just that's it i think it's really cool that you're doing like a zine because yeah that was something yeah, it's I just an ideas factory like it's just like even if like with my zine like my my goal is not for people just to take stuff out of my zine and go yeah okay this is how i'm gonna do it because it's really about how i do it like i'm just writing it for myself really and if other people get enjoyment out of it then that's all cool but i want them to look at it and go hey that's a cool idea or or spark something in their brain to go hey i could take that and use that with this you know with my space opera game or something you know like so i want them because that's what i get out of the dragon magazines i just sit, go back and look at random dragon magazines and go oh hey that's a cool idea um you know i might better use that for this the same way people use i guess blogs posts these days or video content these days um but it's kind of you know that you can hold it you can <laughs> you know like yeah. I, I like the, the you know when, when i first started my patreon i only offered um the you know people just just to support me but i quickly realized that people wanted the physical copy and so i added 
a couple of tiers for in Australia and, and overseas just because of shipping costs um, to be able to actually have a physical copy. And that's my fastest growing, um, uh, you know, part of Patreon is, is that, you know, physical copy because people want that in the mail every, like it beats getting a bill in the mail every day, <laughs> every month, you know, like, yeah. you know, if you get a new zine with a few ideas that you can use, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean, as far as the, the old dragon magazines go, like I'm just thinking about them. Uh, that's exactly how we use them. We being my husband and I, uh, we have dragon magazines, you know, like, you know, they have to be from like 15 years ago now, uh, that are just falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we, that we still reference all the time. So, well, I, I realized just recently when, when you guys asked me to talk about third edition, uh, well, I, when I proposed it, um, it's, it's, pretty old now it's it's you could pretty much class third edition as retro <laughs> you know like it's it's 20 22 years since it came out like that's crazy it it, it doesn't feel like it does it it just no, feels like yeah all. i feel like people are arguing about it just a minute ago but yeah it's been it's been 20 years <laughs> yeah. over well, 20 years yeah it's also kind of interesting because uh you know, previous edition of the game, you don't have the record you do that you do about third edition because, as we were, as uh, Russ has mentioned, the internet was just becoming a thing. It was becoming more popular, and like forums were going, were were, were coming into existence, and uh, you know, I think role players were some of the uh, early adopters for the internet stuff. You know, and so like you can go back and you can find people homebrewing stuff from their third edition game. Like you can find posts from like twenty years ago, and uh, yeah. you know, you aren't gonna find that for second edition or first edition just because mm -hmm. those resources weren't there so it did uh, and if they were there they were on local bbs's and that stuff just just poof lost in time you know i mean well, no one, no, you know. a good story on that like just to sort of reinforce that point was that the pdf market for role-playing material was really kicked off when monty cook posted his first free pdf zine, like a know thing for D, &D. I can't even remember what it was and that spark that one instance of of being able to download a pdf for free and having a resource from one of the original designers just kicked off this whole industry of pdfs um uh and and that was that was sort of those early 2000s you know um and so and you know fast forward now when we've got whole websites devoted just to downloading pdfs for you know for money um you know some of them you know quite expensive but that that was kind of the catalyst um for it and it was a really monumental moment i think for for role-playing games in the fact that holy cow we could actually like anyone can produce stuff and, and put it out there and 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 have it downloaded you know? and kind of controversial at the time i remember when pete when you know when they first started offering pdfs and a lot of people were up in arms going why am i paying for something not a physical mm. copy i'm just paying for something online <clears throat> it seemed it you know it's it's it was so new and now like you said it's the it's the standard they yeah I mean, like I buy everything in my PDF because being in Australia, most of the sites are in the US and the shipping at the moment is is phenomenal. Yep. Um, so I just buy everything on PDF and just print it out, you know, at, at my local printing place um, because it just works out cheaper than than buying a physical copy. Like if I if I really love a book, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll, um, uh, you know, I'll get it like the OSE advanced players and DMs guide I just bought 
and got shipped over here, which was like crazy. But normally I'll just buy the PDF and print it out. It's just so much easier. And it's easy to search a PDF. Like there's so many advantages to it. Yeah, they had to they had to kind of drag me kicking and screaming to the PDFs, but uh, I finally yeah. got there. There's still just something about holding, having a tangible... Yeah, like, book in your hand. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it is. But, like I love. I prefer the book because I can lie in bed and just hold the book and read it, and or wherever I am. But there are there are advantages, you know, especially when you've got like a third the third edition collection of of, of about you know four hundred books or whatever they released over the, the life of that edition. Um, you know, having that all in PDF form is, is you know have it accessible and searchable is pretty cool. So there's you know there's advantages yeah. to both. Yeah, and uh, you know the other part about it, like you've you've mentioned it with the PDFs, it does make it you know easier for smaller companies, smaller people to create content that people can access, and it also I'm sure it helps for overseas distribution since you know yeah. like we mainly think about the United States because we're located here, but I'm sure that there are plenty of people who you know access to a PDF is the only access to a game, so I'm sure it's been great for the yeah. hobby. Well, it's been um, great great for me. Yeah. <laughs> My, my whole zine's based on BDF. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, uh, at your home table, do you tend to play uh, pre-written content or make up your own? I am a make up my own 98% of the time. I will steal stuff off from modules. and so I never run adventures or modules, ever. I, I, I actually, to the point where I've written a few tweets and, and blog posts about it where I talk about how I actually don't think modules are a good thing um uh because they're very they tend to be very linear they tend to be kind of predictable um you know there's obviously ex exceptions but i i tend to find my then this is coming from my own point of view is that if i'm if i make something up i know it really well and there's less of the oh hang on just just give me a minute i just need to read this bit to find out what i'm actually supposed to be doing here you know, when you're running an adventure or a module. And I feel like, you know, the game's about creativity. I, I lean into that completely. Like I just create everything myself and I will steal maps and, and obviously, you know, cause I can't draw to save my life. <laughs> um, so, you know, I can draw a basic map, but you know, anything, you know, like even images and stuff like that. Like I'll, I'll take bits and pieces from different things because at the moment i'm running a, like a west march west marches style campaign where the characters just go out explore the region and i'm I, I realized it was just too big for me to to make everything up so i'm sort of taking bits and pieces from old modules and you know like castles and keeps and you know stuff like that so I, i'd say 95 maybe 98 percent is is just all me but you know there's there's obviously influences and stuff that i steal from you know here and there yeah, that's that's kind of how I operate too. If I actually use published content, I'll pull an encounter for like the basic idea and then make it my own. Like, mm. there's a lot of riffing on things that already exist. So, I, I totally see your point of view. Like, I'm just thinking about like older publications and older games. Did you ever see Grimtooth's Traps? I, I've I've heard of it many many times, but I haven't read it. Oh, I, I I don't think I ever used a Grimtooth's Trap in a game that I ran, but I just loved how... They're pretty uh, deadly from what I hear. They were very deadly and they were very uh, Rube Goldberg-esque. Like, there would always be a lot of yeah. like crazy steps for things to happen. And it was more amusing than like something you ever thought you'd actually see in a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I think I shied away from it because it, it seemed a bit... Uh, 
a bit full on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I use traps sparingly in my game because I found that if you, as soon as you put a trap in a dungeon somewhere for the next, for the rest of the game, everyone's like 10 foot pole or like I'm moving really like, I'll check this and I'll check. And it just slows the game down. Like I just, every time we've like, and I've done it as a player where <laughs> I, remember, yeah. I remember one game where I was, I was actually playing for once and there was a trap in the road or something. And then we just basically were hopping on the fence on the side of the road. <laughs> like we spent like half an hour trying to figure out how we're going to, and you know, it was just, and the GM ended up just going, look guys, there's no more traps. Just, just go. <laughs> you know, so I, I think, I think traps are fine, but, you, but sprinkled, you know, use, I, use sparingly. I, I think every new GM has experienced that one, like, 45 minute door yeah. where like you know the <laughs> players are like okay i'm pushing myself completely against the wall knocking on the door three yeah. times and i slowly ease it open with my foot while holding my yeah. potion of acid resistance just in case <laughs> you know <laughs> um just cartoonishly crazy letter levels of caution after like yeah. one bad experience and, and it's usually just a throwaway line from the gm too it's yeah. like you know you hear a creaking beyond the door oh shit okay it's a creaking what could it be you know is it uh, is it a mimic <laughs> yeah the running joke for mine is i had a uh cow that was just in a field like eating cud while they were walking into a town and i mentioned yeah. this cow when i was describing them entering the town and everyone was obsessed with what evil plot this cow was involved in <laughs> and it ended up being a huge derailment to my game while they were like trying to figure out if there was an evil druid yeah. somewhere using this cow to spy on yeah. them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes you send <laughs> signals you don't mean to as a GM. Yeah, fun times. <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, you say a time I actually got to play, so I'm guessing that you are your uh, area's forever GM. Yeah, I'm pretty much, I, I, I don't mind it. Like, I, I like playing every now and again, but I play about three sessions and I'm just ready to GM again. Like, okay. I'm, I'm a forever GM, but I'm one that loves it. You're, you're one of the blessed then. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, yeah, like, yeah. I've, I've been pretty blessed as a player. Like, back in the day, in the sort of 90s, and I guess moving into the 2000s, uh, I was really blessed to have a group, probably in the 90s more so, where we played a lot of different games, not just D and D, but just you know, um, you know, Traveller and Cyberpunk and Star Wars D six, you know, all those sort of you know heaps of games, Mutant Chronicles, Call of Cthulhu, um, and we used to play like pretty much every weekend. And someone, you know, every all of us had our own specialties. Like mine was the the D and D uh, and Star Wars D six specialty. Someone else would do Cyberpunk and Warhammer, um, fantasy role play. You know, someone else would do Cthulhu, someone else would do Vampire. Um, you know, so I, I was blessed in the way that I could play a lot back then. Um, but then as I sort of got older and moved states around, I think, 99, and I got a new group, um, and I was the forever GM. <laughs> like, I think, I think I played maybe, you know, maybe half a dozen games during like a, a seven, eight-year span. But the rest of it, I was just GMing D&D &D and... Um, a few variants here and there, but yeah, so mostly jamming, but I love it. Like I just, the creativity that I get to, to put into it is, is just my outlet. Yeah. I think as a, as a GM, one of the things that just is a great part of the experience too, is, um, 
and you can confirm this for me if, if you've had the same experience, but the moment when the players get it, like if you're running a complicated game or a mystery yeah. and they, they, they figure out what's going on, that moment's always really satisfying. I, I like to riff off the players. So <laughs> I have a friend who does this way better than me, but we'll, cause he'll just like, he won't even prep. Like he'll just make, I, I prep to a certain degree. And, but if, if the players come up with an idea that's better than mine, I'll just change it. And I'll be like, hey, yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Because <laughs> it's better than my fucking idea. Oops, sorry. Oh, uh, you got better, it. Better there was your F-bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's my only one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it, like, yeah, I, I think I, I think it, I, that's a talent for a GM to, to, to do is to pick up on the players and to, you know, you might have, and that's why, again, I don't like set adventures because if the, if the if the players come up with a really cool idea and it's not in the adventure, a lot of GMs, especially early GMs, um, are just you know flawed. Like they just don't know what to do, you know, because it's not in the adventure. But I'm sort of of the mind of like, oh, I'll just I'll let them do it, or I'll I'll run with it. You know, that's a cool idea. You know, I'll, I'll tweak my you know, what I was going to do and and have them have that win because it's a good feeling when, as a player when you have the win. You know, you figure it out, and so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to win. I love it when they figure out a, a solution to a puzzle that I didn't come up with and I usually have those work like uh, in my last campaign I kept forgetting they had a broom of flying and uh, oh, yeah. like the broom of flying like taxi cab service ended up happening more than one occasion but every time it was yeah. great I'm really careful with magic items because I feel I can derail the plot very very quickly um you know things especially things like flying and stuff it's it's not it's not usually not for the reasons that people go on about online like about oh how it's too uber it's op or you know it, it's not generally because you know flying people are easily targeted but um but it's it, it can derail like especially if you forget that they've got them like you just said and you've kind of done this like overland journey and then they just go oh, we'll just jump on the flying carpet that we have that we got like four games back that you gave us was uh was the funny thing was we could the uh, i was in the party and we actually kept forgetting about a lot of times and yeah. we'd be halfway through an adventure and be like oh yeah what about that the, the broom and it's like oh <laughs> damn well there were also <laughs> like five of you and if you looked at the weight allowance for the broom you could only ever get like if you had the lightest PCs on it, like three of the five, so you'd still have two people you'd have to figure out what to do with, um, you know. And also for whatever reason, you guys gave it to the heaviest PC, so you could ever only get two people on it. <laughs> well, in our defense, one of our people was a Drew, and he could fly on his own. And me being but the monk, I could sometimes shadow step that way. So yeah, we were stupid, but we weren't that stupid. <laughs> that that should be like the uh the role-playing uh motto for for most groups we were stupid but not that stupid <laughs> not that stupid I, uh, it, it's funny listening to as a gm one of my favorite parts is listening to the pcs justify their actions after the fact yeah <laughs> i think i think that was one of them <laughs> yeah exactly I um, have to defend at all five of them though, because none of them are here. So it's it's up to me yeah, to yeah. give them good. Yeah. So you said you're playing a West Marches game currently. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, so I just started it. It's it's my plan for it is to be uh, uh, include the entire world. So I'd love to be able to set it up. So um, and I've got a list of people who are interested already, probably about thirty to forty people. Um, and then once I'm sort of in a beta testing, so I'm just doing it with friends on a every second Friday night at the moment. But um, once that sort of once I get all the stuff ironed out, because there's a lot of rules that with West Marches that. Are kind of forgotten or you have to discover or you have to make up yourself and i made up a lot of it myself so i'm just sort of we're using OSE at the moment uh, old school's essentials for the rules so i sort of had to figure out how my rules for it sort of fit in with that as well so there's a little bit of you know sort of mixing rules together right. and and oh, here you go um i actually just learned about what a west marches game is so i think there might yeah. be a chance that we'll have a lot of listeners who don't know so okay. could you uh explain it a little bit oh rodney's okay. one of them i'm sorry yeah I'll, I'll i'll send you a link that you can include in the show notes but um from the original guy who did it uh, i can't remember his name off the top of my head but basically west marches is a style of game where you have a, an unexplored area you know in in his game it was to the west minus to the east so it's sort of an east marches but anyway um and it's it's unexplored and there's sort of like a gold rush so you have all these um you know adventurers or explorers or you know knowledge seekers all of a sudden just going into this and with my the the reasoning behind mine was that a, a huge magic sort of force field blocked off this nation for a long time because they were sick of being invaded but the nation died off but the magic stuck around but it only just failed so it it opened up this huge area of of ancient civilization or old civilizations and ruins and stuff just to be to be picked off by adventurers and explored and all that sort of stuff so the the idea is there's a there's a few uh, changes you have to make in the way that you play. So it's more of a style of play. Um, so you would, you start at a town and the town is like your safe spot. So nothing bad happens in a town. You can't get robbed. You can't get attacked. There's no, you know, political subplots. It's just a safe town. But if your players can, or characters can make it back to that town, they're safe. Okay. So, um, but then they go out and explore. And so each session is a is an exploration. So they get to choose where they go. The GM has to just run with it. They decide where they want to go. They, you know, you give them obviously hints and tips and rumors and you know, like there's like the one they just finished off was um, a rumor of uh, a couple of people came back with this sort of unsightly diseases and they had to go off and they found a a, a can or a can or whatever you how you pronounce it a an old burial mound and it would, had been taken over by the the chaos demon of disease and they, they had some null worshippers and they had to take care of them and so they kind of did that in two or three sessions and then but each at the end of each session you need to make it back to a safe space so whether that's the town or whether that's like a tower that you've you know cleaned out and you've you've started using as your own little you know um, fort uh, whatever it is, you need to make it back to a safe space. The idea being that you have multiple characters. So each player would have maybe, I've got every player in my game has three characters um, because especially with OSE, the death rate is so high. Um, you kind of need that, but also the, it's like a character tree where they're all related. So they all talk to each other and they all know what's happening. So, and then they can choose the character that they want to take on the particular mission. So for example, if they know they're going to a temple, they're going to be bringing a cleric. If they don't bring a cleric, they're idiots. And you know, whatever befalls them, befalls them, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if they haven't got someone who can turn, um, 
then they're going to run or they're going to all die. So, um, you know, there's it, it. it's a style of game that probably wouldn't suit everybody because you do have multiple characters. Like, I can't imagine a lot of the new 5e crowd getting into it, um, although you can run it with 5e quite easily, although there's a lot of things like the ranger ability you'd have to nix because it's all about exploration and travel. And so those those pillars, that exploration pillar, needs to be strengthened and 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 not ignored like they kind of tend to do in 5e where you just kind of get to the dungeon you, you travel's hand waved travel and there's like i have tables for weather you know i've almost killed two pcs with just the weather um you know so it's it's a it's a really kind of uh fun game to play if you like that survival exploration sort of part of dnd so yeah, I, hopefully i've summed that up okay so um, the characters that stay behind are they doing stuff like one would be a smith? Yeah, they could they could have vampires. So one of the one of the things you need to do is keep careful track of time. So um, I have like a spreadsheet where I just keep track of time, and I've got my world. It's instead of my own world, so I've got my own calendar and all that sort of stuff. But you you need to uh, keep careful track of time because you know the wizard might be off researching a spell, and it might take him a week to do it. But if the characters want to go out and quickly, um, you know, sack a, a temple before another NPC adventuring group does, they, they can't wait around for the wizard to finish his spell, you know, like, so it, it sort of adds a, a lot of reality to the, you know, to the game as well, because you're not just hand waving, you know, oh, you, you research that spell. Yeah, okay, you've got it. You actually have to do it. Like, in the, and with, with the rules that I've got in, in place, you have to actually roll to see at the end of that time to see if you can actually learn it. So it, it, it'll, what it allows is player choice. And that's what I love about it, is that it, every decision they make impacts the game so for example that that khan that they they wiped out if they don't keep an eye on it something else is going to move in right and and cause maybe cause issues for another group or whatever and the idea being that you have multiple groups and this is what kind of where i want to get eventually where i i might be able to play two or three times in a fortnight with different groups and and the other thing is it's open table so it won't be the same group of players every time it'll be whoever can make it so the GM um, can go, okay, I'm available, you know, Sunday night, this time for, for four hours, who's in? And the players who can make it put up their hand and then you just go out with that group. How does, a how does like, I'm thinking about the character trees and the uh, sporadic attendance. How does that impact levels? Like, will you get yeah, in a so, situation? Yeah, yeah. That, that was one thing I had to come up with. And what I what I decided was to do it in tiers. So I, I tend to keep my games fairly low. I don't, I don't tend to go above 10th level very often because I, I just find that at that level, it's very hard to run probably this style of game um, just because it just changes the dynamic of travel and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and I, I tend to like lower level anyway. So what I've done is I actually split into tier, tiers. So first to third will go out together so if you have a first level character so every character starts at first level so if you if you lose a character you have to start at first level again so you might have a character at first level at third level at fifth level whatever how many times you want to go out with them but again that's a choice because if you focus all in one character and you get them to sixth level and they die you have to go back to first level again so what i did was i each game is split into tiers so first to third level can play together fourth to sixth level can play together seventh to ninth 
level can play together and 10th level and above can play together. So there's four tiers. So you could have a third level thief and, uh, you know, first level wizard and a second level cleric and whatever, and they all adventure together. But as soon as you hit fourth level, you have to adventure with the other four to six level characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I, I really like that. That's, that's yeah. Nice. yeah. Well, so like, you know, I have my characters, so I could have a situation where I have a tier two character and then a tier one character yep and and so i when i when when i when i say okay this is the game that i'm going to play it's for tier two okay so if anyone who has a tier two character will go hey i can play you know i've got a fourth level cleric um you know i've got a fifth level wizard um you know let's go and and get some gold you know so um and and i like while, while it's sort of focused on that kind of um you know, raiding tombs and all that. I kind of like the players and I encourage them to to have reasons for doing it. So, for example, it might be that the cleric is sponsored by his church to go out and find relics, you know, or the wizard, you know, obviously it's just after, you know, new spells or old spells that he can, you know, have that no one else has, you know. So, um, you know, there's, there's reasons for it and I try and encourage that because it is very much a snatch and grab type game because you have to kind of go out and come back, go out, come back. But if you yeah. have that kind of role playing element at, at home base where, where you know, the, the cleric might go out and, and, and fail to find something, he might come back and his, his, you know, the higher up priest might admonish him for failing, you know, um, and and you know so there's there's all there's sort of role-playing elements in there as well and they and they and it's not just monsters they meet like they meet npcs other other adventuring parties out there you know so there's a lot of role-playing um opportunities for that as well for someone like me who's constantly wanting to make and try new characters yeah. this sounds this sounds right up my alley it sounds like yeah, you play it, a lot yeah it's, it's pretty cool like I, i'm i'm really digging it it's 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 it just it's taken me a while to to get everything together to run it um but now that i'm running it i'm having a blast it's just my gming style down down to a t okay so what has been the the best thing or your favorite thing that has happened in this west marches campaign so far well i've only i've only we've only had three four sessions um <laughs> because one of one of the one of the highlights for me from a, from from what one of the players did uh, was there was, it was probably two. There was one where there was only three PCs that went into this con, and um, it was dangerous. Like I don't I don't pull punches. That's the other thing with West Marches. Whatever's there is there. I don't level like I don't CR things you know so if if you meet a ghost at first level you're going to meet a ghost at first level you shouldn't have gone there like you should have researched you should have done your homework um and so what uh so three of them went in and they basically got attacked by a, a animated statue which was the like the idol of the god um and the two fighters they had a barbarian and a fighter they both dropped like the the thing just smashed them um and in my game usually when you drop to zero you're dead but i actually give them a death saving throw uh based on the the death saving throw of ose it's a bit, bit different to the death save in in 5e um and if they make that then they they suffer a, a an injury which i roll up later 
so anyway these two guys went down they both made their saves so they were still alive and the, the rogue basically had, had an eight strength had to pull them out of this dungeon but the choice she had to make she could only take one at a time and there was these other sort of kobold creatures that were kind of in the darkness so she had to choose which character she took first oh man um, the so that was a great moment she ended up rolling randomly because she didn't oh. want the pressure of taking <laughs> <laughs> and by the time she got back to the other one these two goat kobolds were dragging it down the hallway deeper into the the, the khan and so she shot one and just killed one instantly and the other one ran off because it failed its morale roll and then so she dragged that one back and you know so it was it was really heroic from like a, a quite a quite a quiet player too but she had her moment to shine because the the two fighters just dropped within you know a couple of rounds um and so it was a really a really cool moment um where i got to see this player shine as well as her character you know so yeah it was it was good stuff i love that stuff that is the best what a character who like really comes out of their, the player really comes out of their shell yeah like, and, gets and she that, had to you know spotlight so and incidentally the, the the barbarian ended up losing a leg and he retired <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was pretty traumatic just uh speaking of of death saves something that i did in my last campaign that really uh really made the uh drama for some of the players was there were certain monsters that if they k took you down to zero you'd permanently lose a death save so yeah. knowing that they were down yeah. to like two of three or one guy got down to one of three he was so nervous every time they were in combat because of it yeah there's there's been a couple of times when when players have tried to game the death save um and this is one thing i don't like about the three death saves is that players will go oh okay well i failed one but i've still got two cleric don't worry about healing me yet i've still got another round you know like they can kind of game it um, but there was this one moment where I went back when I did GM 5e, I've sort of given up GMing it now, but, um, where the character had, uh, the bad guy basically had the, one of the characters knife to his throat and he did failed. The character had failed one death save already. And the player not thinking about the rules too closely went, oh, well, he's going to stick him and he's going to get another death save. He'll still be alive. But the rules stipulate that if someone's in a hoop de gras situation it's an automatic critical which means two death saves fail um and so the character died so the, the player tried to gain the system but failed monumentally and had that that other character killed basically well that's an, an important lesson to learn right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so but anyway but yeah so i kind of like the one death save thing because it kind of gives it a chance but but they're on the edge of their seat as well like you know i kind of like like people give the old school stuff kind of ribbing because uh you know the save or die but the amount of of panic and the amount of enthusiasm when they're watching that player roll that one die to live or die you cannot get any other way in in a, in a game of dnd i don't think my feeling on that i've played through both is that uh you know as long as everybody knows what they're in for it's fine like yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah like i i've had a couple second ed games particularly that i've run where like you could just see like the nail biting like especially like you know when you're playing that low level wizard and you're trying <laughs> yeah. to decide if it's <laughs> worth it to cast your <laughs> one spell or not yeah well, I've got a one of the one of the players has an illusionist, a gnome illusionist in my West Marches game, and he has one hit point. <laughs> oh man! So, so he gets hit, he's out. He gets punched, he's out. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Oh man, like uh, I, I think my uh, my, my worst was I I had a, a a wizard character who I rolled his hit points in second ed, and uh, he was fourth level and had six hit points, and yeah, that was yeah, such harsh. a scary life to lead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But you anyway, were, we, we, I think we've talked more about West Marches than we have third edition. Yeah, that that's that is the case. Uh, I was just going to transition there to uh, to talk a little bit about third edition. Like uh, this has been a really fun conversation learning about West Marches in your yeah, game. Though. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, good. It's good. Definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll give send you the link uh, for the original guy who did it. Um, but uh, there's a, there's a great book as well, which I might send you a link to as well, which I downloaded and just explains everything in detail about how to do it, and and that, it's it's really good if you if you're into that sort of style of gaming. Yeah, I just recently like I found it a few months ago and was reading about it, yeah. and uh, I know that it developed from like them playing in college, and everything. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I don't know a lot of the history about it, but um the the guy's blog who, who originally sort of came up with this was just a, it was just an experiment that he did and probably at college um but yeah it's it's, it's really good like uh, i'm looking forward to being able to expand it out and to have like these worldwide web of players who can just come whenever and just play whatever character they want to and just have adventures and have fun and yeah so it should be cool and it should be and hopefully uh you know with people understanding that they have to have three characters and that death is common. Uh, yeah. The uh, yeah. time to create a character won't be too great. Like the entrance. Yeah. And I think that's why it works well with OSE because it takes about five minutes to make a character up. Uh, whereas if you, I guess we, this might be a nice segue into third edition, whereas third edition, I love it, but it can take a while to make up a character, <laughs> um, which which is one of its strengths in the character development. Like I think third edition nailed character development. Um, I, I think the the diversity that you have when you make up a character is actually one of its strengths. And I think that's why I sort of, after having experienced that, playing 5e was such a letdown and the fact that everything's kind of templated and cookie cutted and everyone's the same. Whereas if you look at third edition, you could have, you know, you could have five wizards in a party and every single wizard would be completely different. Like we've talked about that a lot about running like the all one class party. Um, You know, looking at third edition, what do you think is the biggest mechanical difference that facilitates that? Is it just the, 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 the creation of paths in fifth edition or the, uh, I think I think what they did with fifth edition it was kind of clever. Like I don't I don't want to dish on fifth edition because there's parts of it I like. Generally, overall, I don't like it. I, I just find it too simplified and too um, too generic. But having said that, I think what they did with fifth was they kind of took elements from the old school and from third and kind of meshed them together. So they so the the paths that you have or the archetypes that you have is pretty much a, a variation on the prestige classes in, in third edition, but they're just accessible at lower levels. So with prestige classes, prestige classes in third were you had your base classes and which were pretty much the same. And then you had, once you reached fifth, sixth, seventh level, you could take what, what was called like a, a, a 10 level or a five level path in these prestige classes. Um, and they were more spe- uh, specified um, and the, well, what they were meant to be and what they turned out to be were two different things. What they, what Monty Cook wanted them to be, 
and what I think they were in 3.0 was um, highly specialized classes that had a, a, a very hello, a very heavy role playing element to it. So if you wanted to join a particular guild, for example, you might become a guild thief, which would be the prestige class. So you'd have to earn your way. You'd have to be a rogue for you know five levels, and then at, at the sixth level, you would go into guild thief because you you'd role played over those last five levels that you would you know you would move into a guild thief and you've been working with the gm and you know making contacts in game and blah 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 and doing missions and i think what they turned out to be <laughs> um was just something to uh make your character better well and there were so yeah. many of them like they uh yeah uh, i think they lost the the role-playing element a little bit and they just were okay i'll just take them because you know this align this this power aligns with my other feet and i can you know and people were gaming it to the point of just you yeah. know putting online these builds where you know the best builds for a blah 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 and stuff and they kind of do that for fifth now it's just an evolution of it i think yeah the uh i always think about when i think of the original intention for the uh prestige class like uh they had the purple dragon knight in third edition yep. it was one of the early prestige classes and that was really yep. all about becoming a member of that knighthood and yeah and yeah. increasing in the ranks um yep. you know whereas like later prestige classes cool. you think about like the mystic theurge like a lot of mechanical bonuses i think it's a pretty iconic yeah. prestige class but uh yep there wasn't really any kind of structure to it. It was just, no. you learned how to yeah. do both. I tried to, when I GM third edition, um, I haven't, like, I actually, cause I'm really big into solo role play as well. So I don't know if you guys are into that at all, or you've heard about it, but basically you just play by yourself. You play D and D by yourself. You're the GM and the player. Um, and it, it's sort of a, a subgroup, I guess, of, of D and D. And I, I run multiple campaigns on solo as well. And I always use third edition for that because I, I do find it hard to find people who want to get into third edition now, 20, 23 years later. At the time it was easy, but now it's a bit harder. Um, you really have to be a diehard fan. Um, and so I do I do that because, and I also because third, third edition has a lot of structure and a lot of scaffolding to it, which allows me to do that. Um, I can't even remember where I was going with that. Um, okay. But it, yeah. I can't remember. I was I had a train of thought there. I've just lost it. Well, I think you can't talk about third edition without talking about prestige classes. So, can you tell yeah. me what a couple of your favorite prestige classes were in third edition? Uh, to be honest, because I was forever GM, mm. uh, I never got into. I never like I. I kind of got into them in the way that you know I would say you know this this guy's from you know blah blah and he's a, you know but I never tell them that he's a you know a Mystic Surge. Um, and, and half the time I never started them up anyway because I didn't have to fight them. But um, uh, to be honest, I, I I think just the original ones from the, the 3.0, um, which I, I, like there was some in the Splat books that came out. Like so the first books that came out, the sort of resources that came out, which were class-based books for 3.0. Um, so they combined, like they combined the Ranger and the Druid into a book and they had that. And there was some really good prestige classes in that as well. I can't, to be honest, I can't remember the names of any particular ones, but I think those earlier ones were the best ones because like I said before, they, they still had, they maintained that role-playing element to them. They weren't just bags of, of, of powers. Whereas I figure not all of them, but a lot of the later ones, um, tended to be yeah, just, you know, extra skills and buffs and, you know, whatever. Um, so to be honest, I don't really have a favorite, but I think those earlier ones 
definitely um, are used a lot more than than some of the later ones. I know. I know Rodney has a couple weirdos that he really likes to talk about <laughs> among the prestige classes. They're not weirdos. There's um, I, I actually when we when I heard about this topic, I was like, hey, what were my favorite prestige classes? And I was looking through them, and I came up with three that I really liked. Uh, one of them is the Warsling Sniper for the Halflings. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, you know making the sling into an actual productive and deadly weapon. I, I like the background of that. Mm -hmm. Another one is from the Ghost Ghost Walk module. The uh, these guys are called the Bone Collectors, and mm -hmm. they they have recognized undead, and they have a bunch of bunch of cool stuff to really help them with undead. And I guess the last one is from Forgotten Realms. It's the Entropist. Which I, I described this to Elmer earlier when we were talking about this at Discord. It's basically an insane, wealthy nobleman's family that worships a rogue spear of annihilation. And the prestige class itself, while the abilities aren't that powerful, I absolutely love the fluff. And if I fall in love yeah. with the fluff, then I'll want to play the character. So. To be honest, I think that's where the prestige class is for me anyway was strong it was the flavor of them yes it was the law behind them and i think like if i was doing 5e content now like if generating content i would just go back to those prestige classes in third and just rip them wholesale of the flavor <laughs> and then just port over the new stats for like it'd be an easy conversion as yep. far as you know because there was so much flavor wrapped up in those and that's what they were there for you know they were there to add flavor to your world they were there for the gm to they sort of became a player thing but originally they were kind of meant for the gm and the gm only really in a way that players could take them but the gm would introduce them um a way to flavor his world um and i remember monty cook used to on his old website used to host um you know he'd get people to to put in their ideas for prestige classes and he would he would critique them um you know this is good this is good you know this is not so good and that was kind of cool if you can go back in the time the wayback machine um and look up monty cook's website there's a whole slew of stuff that you can that you can look up when he was talking about prestige classes and stuff like that well i know that's that's a lot of how i used them when i ran a 3.5 game um I would, uh, you know, pay attention to what the character liked to do or was interested in doing, and then create an organization around a prestige class and kind of dangle it in front yeah. of them. Like, wouldn't you like yeah. to eventually become this elite version of what you do anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Best three point five spell ever, Yoke of Mercy. Ugh. <laughs> My husband just uh, chimed in because uh, one of the things he loved about three point five was the ridiculous number of spells. And, yeah, yeah, uh, it was a lot. In the uh, 3.0 Book of Exalted Deeds, there's a spell called Yoke of Mercy. And I'm not familiar with it. You cast it on somebody, and it is a will save. And if they fail, they can only do subdual damage. Oh, wow. And it was one of their sanctified spells. So, like, it had the extra wow. sanctified component, which I believe for that one was that you had to abstain from sexual activity for 24 hours before you cast the spell. <laughs> and... It was so game breaking. I had he cast it on a white dragon they were fighting, and I had to figure out ways oh, wow. for a white dragon to only do subdual damage, and it was such a pain in the well, neck. Yeah, and that was that was kind of one of the rules that I never liked in third, the way they handled and I don't think D D does it well at all, so it's not just a third thing, is the subdual stuff. Yeah. 
Um, it is we're probably going to have one of the most house ruled things out there. Like, you know, the fact that you've got, you know, 50, 80 hit points and you have to get them to zero by pummeling them repeatedly <laughs> is just ridiculous. You know, like, I, and, but then, but then like the, the AD and D in second edition rules for it were pretty dumb as well. You know, like I just, I think sub jewel damage is one of those things that just D and D will never get right just because of the way the system works you know it's it's not meant to knock people out you're just supposed to kill them <laughs> you know i think that's you know the way the rules are structured i believe the rule in fifth is that whoever knocks the person down to zero gets to decide if they're yeah. killed or subdued and, and i think they, and, that was kind of what they were doing in third like sort of you know not officially but officially um but the but see the, the thing with third edition was everything was codified so everything had a rule and so you could choose to accept that rule or you could choose to change it or ignore it but even in that they had rules where if you wanted to do subdual damage it was negative four to hit unless you had the feet which allowed you to do it without the penalty so it it was wasn't an option that a lot of people took because they get negative four to hit like well, who, who wants to take that I, I think it was even worse, if I remember correctly, because I think if you didn't have the feed, it also could cause an attack of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, the attack of opportunity stuff, uh, I, I can see why they pared it down in 5e, yeah. but the, the attack of opportunity stuff was the probably the point of contention at most tables, I would imagine. The amount of, like, back then it was, like, instead of social media, it was forums, like, online yeah. forums, and the amount of arguments. Like, I remember I had a, <laughs> I'd moved state, and I had a friend who rang me up and said, hey, Russ, what's the rule for this for Attack of Opportunity? Because our GM just did blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's like, dude, I'm not even there. Like, <laughs> what are you ringing me for? <laughs> but, um, you, you know, like, I... I think they took it a little bit too far. Like, there was, there's some rules in, in, in third edition that um i'm working on a bit of a rewrite of third edition bringing in some of the old school stuff and slowly getting there but uh, there's a there's quite a few things and i think the attack of opportunity part i would look at closely because while i i actually enjoy the attack of opportunity in third i think it was just slightly overdone um i think but i but in fifth edition it's not done enough so there's a happy medium there i think like, I think if, if a cleric casts, you know, like, or the paladin lays hands or the cleric casts a spell on, you know, touching somebody and there's an ogre standing right in front of them, that ogre should get a free hit. I mean, seriously, the, the cleric's attention is on saving their companion. Whereas, and that's what kind of, those are the kind of rules that annoyed me in fifth. It's like, I, I should, you know, like, you know, he's focused on doing something else. You know, that that's kind of where the attack of opportunities or opportunity attacks now they're called kind of um should come into it you know um not not just moving out of combat yeah i think that makes a lot of sense but uh i uh i know we're running a little long but i wanted to ask you um i know that you really like 3.0 and uh i don't think mm. that we've really given you a chance to tell everyone what is great about it and why they should play it okay so i guess the the, the first thing I'd say, that there's kind of two editions going on here. There's 3.0 and then there's 3.5. So the, the quick history of that is third edition came out in 2000, completely restructured the game as far as what it was. It brought in the unified, unified mechanic where every, everything re resolved with a D20 roll, um, except for damage, obviously. Whereas before that, early editions had subsystems like D6s, D10s, you know, all that sort of stuff. They brought in the unified mechanic. It was, to be honest, I actually call it a piece of great poetry 
I think the 3.0 books are completely well written, um, completely work. You know, all the rules work together. It's just it's just a piece of art, really. 3.5 came in at, in 2003, I'm pretty sure it was, because, and Monty Cook actually wrote a blog post at the time. I think he was on his way out of Wizards of the Coast at the time um, about they purely brought 3.5 out to make more money. And so because he was there on the board meeting and they decided to do this, you know, so he was really angry at the time about it because the changes from 3 to 3.5 are, are, are really minor. You know, they've changed a few skills here and there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they also focused more on the minis. So the minis were big then. And so they had a line of minis that they wanted to bring out. And so everything went from, you know, it's 30 feet away, 60 feet away to it's six squares away. It's 12 squares away, you know, so to facilitate their, their mini line. And that's why that's how 3.5. And and then they started listening to people on the forums and they talked about combat and it became very much of a combat focused game. And you can see that because the next edition they came out with was fourth and it was highly combat focused. And Wizards of the Coast mistake was listening to those people on the forums who most of them weren't even really playing that often, but they were all arguing about combat rules and stuff. And that's what the arguments were. Like now it's all about politics and, and race and all that sort of stuff. Before, the, before, back in those days, it was just arguments about whether someone could fire a longbow when they're kneeling down or not. You know, like it was just, it was silly, but it was kind of like, I look back on that with great fondness compared to what the arguments are now. Like it was just rule-based arguments. And so they brought this 3.5 out with, and it got to the stage where by the end of 3.5, you had books full of like battle maps and tactics. Nothing about what, you know, if the players didn't want to fight them, it was all just about combat and fighting and stuff like that. And so I kind of like the 3.0 era, I think the best. Um, there was some early 3.5 stuff that was really good too. There's, you know, there's good stuff spattered throughout the, the entirety of the, of the edition. But I, I feel like that 3.0 was the most playtested, the most, um, you know, worked out. Um, even with the Dragon magazines, you know, the articles were really good. Um, when Paizo, Paizo or Paizo, whatever, took over, um, they used the Dragon as a platform to create their own world and their own, and that's what turned into Pathfinder. And you could kind of see that in there. And so, um, but Paizo did bring some really good articles into Dragon. Um, but they used it as a platform to kind of build their own empire, which they did because when fourth edition was came out, no one liked it, and Pathfinder actually outsold Dungeons and Dragons. For the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was outsold for the first time in history in role playing by Pathfinder, and so um, and Pathfinder was kind of touted as, as the three point seven five, so it was kind of an evolution. They kind of bumped up the characters, like they gave um wizards d6 hit, hit dice instead of d4 and they you know increased some of the power level in it and sort of made it a bit higher fantasy well they um, also uh they also introduced uh you know just getting a suite of special abilities as part of your specialist school as you level up which yeah. uh yeah you know, there's a lot more options available too um like you can you can you can look at the the srds online and you know for both pathfinder and for 3.0 yeah, and all the rules are there. Yeah, at the time I adored uh, Pathfinder when it first came out. Uh, yeah, I did too, but I kind of weaned off it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, um, the the content creep was just too fast for Pathfinder for me. Like, I just yeah, couldn't well, keep up. I think 
Yeah, I think the other the other issue that Wizards did, the other problem they had with third was they were releasing a book every month for 3.5. Like a book every month. And these are like hardcover books. There is no way they could they could publish, like write them, publish them, you know, play test them properly and, and put them out every month. And so there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of power creep. There was a lot of untested stuff in there that broke the game sometimes. And, but it was just too much. Like if they did, if they did what kind of 5e is doing, I think Wizards is doing a good job with their publishing schedule. Um, so maybe like four books a year, like one every quarter, that would have been sweet. You know, maybe you had a bit bigger books or whatever, but I mean, you look back now and I go, oh, wow, there's so much content. It's kind of cool to look back over them. But at the time I was like, I can't keep up. Like that's a book a month, man. That's like, you know, 40, 50 bucks every month. Well, and and, they would, and the problem is that they would they would reference these books in modules and stuff that they would release. So if you didn't have the book, you couldn't play that part, or you couldn't play it as well. So, well, and it was also very disappointing because uh, towards the end, when they were doing that one book a month schedule, I th- guess at the same time that they were developing fourth edition, some of those books that came out, the content just was not great. I'm looking at you, complete no. champion. That was the second uh, yeah. last book for. <laughs> yeah for clerics and it was just yeah. awful like it didn't really add yeah. much of anything um and I, I think they i think they had a bit of rules creep too like they brought in like all these different actions so like again this is why i think third worked so well because they had you know your action economy was was very set like you had your standard action your full action you and there was no partial action or anything it was just a free action and but then they brought in like these these all these other actions like um i can't remember the name of them now um immediate uh, action react, like the reaction swift action reaction yeah, swift action and you know like and it's like come on guys like you know like i get that you need to evolve the game a little bit but it, you're kind of breaking you're kind of breaking it in a way because all of a sudden those old spells that you had which featherfall might have been a swift action if they'd actually had swift actions in the original game but they don't so you know like it's kind of i don't know they tried to yeah they just tried to add too much i think and same with feats like feats were like like every book had prestige classes feats you know um new ways to use skills which is kind of cool like i think the one thing i will say the skill system in third edition is robust and the best skill system i've seen in a game probably um you you could build it was so robust that you could build a a rogue for example which was a skill-based character you could build that character and have them purely on skills be almost as good as a wizard or a fighter who had all these feats and powers you know um so running a skill i mean you can't do that in 5e a skill-based character would just you can't do it they just just don't have enough enough skills and the skills don't have enough meat to there's no robustness like you can't like with third edition you'd go up every level you would get points to spend on your skills and you could either max them out or you could become like a jack of all trades whereas 5e you just you're not adding any skill points to them you're just adding your your bonus that you get as you level up and if you look if you work the math out it sucks like at a high level you should be doing some really cool things and you just can't because of just the way they've written the rules they don't want the skills to get too high um because it would just you know 
break the game. Um, so I can see why they did it, but I, I think their their philosophy of design was flawed from the very beginning. In, in that sense, and I think there's for- there's definitely definitely some classes in five e that yeah you get you get later levels and it's just yeah you go it's like I've just leveled three times and I've gotten nothing and it's, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah and as a player that's just done feel great yeah well I know that's part of the uh, the peso design theory is that you should never have a dead level every time you level up you should have something new that you're excited about. Agreed. I think I think it depends. I, I think I think people need to reset their expectations somewhat because, like, it, playing OSE, like playing the, the the old school essentials, which is basically the basic, you know, I, I can see the players. They're like, because you don't get stuff every level. You get nothing. Like, you pretty much get your hit points, and you might get like a bonus to hit or whatever spell slot. Yeah, or Maybe. a spell slot if you're a wizard. But now my characters are kind of attuned to that. They're like, man, I get more hit points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's they've reset their expectation to really low. So whatever they get is like, yeah, I get more hit points. Whereas, you know, the 5e player or whatever, the sort of modern modern player is like the hit points are kind of given. But you know, what else do I get? You know, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. You know, and that that kind of like I I can like I like both, but I kind of like the fact that players get excited over getting more hit points, you know, like it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's novel. It's kind of quaint, you know, whereas the, the, the power creep of the later editions, yeah, it leaves me a bit cold. I want to, I want to steer us back to, to feats for just a second, because you mentioned them and I really do think feats were, were a game changer that was introduced by 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think uh fifth edition has done a better job with feats. You get less of them, but mm. I feel like you get a lot more from each one that you get. Like, what are your thoughts you on, on that? Yeah. Look, I did actually think about this. I actually prefer the third edition way. Um, okay. Basically if, you, if for people who don't know, um, five five edition feats are basically two feats from third edition, two two or three, like the power level of them. So, and I get what you're saying, where you have less feats, and so you're getting more from them. But I actually, the character generation in third edition was was a, a, a thing of increments. So you would, and and you would really have to, and it was there was a kind of a a, a real mindset you had to get into where you'd go, okay, like I want to make this type of character. What can I, you know, what Okay, what class, what race? Um, okay, now feats. You know, what feats can I get? No, okay, now I want to get to this. Pre- I want to get be this prestige class. So, what feats do I need? You can go that way, or you could just sort of wing it. But the thing I liked about the smaller scale feats, so the less powerful feats, but more of them, was that it would build you up incrementally, and you could you could sideline. So instead of taking, you know, like sniper feat or whatever it's called from Five E where you get like three bonuses you could take in dnd you could take one of those bonuses like saying being able to fire into melee combat without p- penalty and then take something else which could be which would make your character unique would make you know it would change the dynamic of it and the one thing i love about third edition is character generation in the fact that um you can take these little bits and put them together same with multi-classing multi-classing was great um and and have a, a really unique character that is like none other. See, yeah. I, I I see what you're saying, but I also noticed, especially towards the end of 3.5's life, that a lot of feat spots were spent trying to qualify for prestige classes. Like, yeah, um, yeah. It always kind of frustrated me when I had my 
you know, wizard who already had a crazy will save, and I wanted to go into a prestige class, but I had to take iron will. So I got one, yeah. another plus two to my will save, which, I mean, let's yep. be perfectly frank, I wasn't failing them anyway, and my yeah. DM wasn't targeting me with anything that had to have a will save. So, yeah. like, the resource burn was part of what really bothered me about that, but, mm. you know, I can see what you're saying, that it was nice being able to say, okay, this this character is going to take, uh, what was it, point-blank shot to fire into melee, but he's not going yeah. to take, you know, the long shot feat so that he can yeah. have a longer yeah, range, where, just because that's not who he is. Kind of because of, because of the sim simplicity that 5e is aiming for, um, they kind of bundled them up into packages. So you could take the, the you know, the, the archer feet, you know, or the, you know, whatever. Um, but I like, I like playing in the, the nuance, you know, I like yeah. picking, you know, and it's just a style of play. Like it's just whatever you prefer. Um, and, and you could easily change, like you could easily do that in third. You could just go, you pick two or three feats, bump them together and go, here's your package, like to make it easier. Um, but, well, yeah, I can like, I can definitely tell from talking to you that you you talk a lot about preferences about what what you like in a game, but I haven't yeah. gotten any message from you that you're telling anybody that they're playing wrong. So, no one I plays wrong. That. I don't. I don't like everything I say. Like sometimes I come maybe come off on Twitter like, oh, you should do it this way. But I always try and write the tweet. I'm very aware <laughs> that you know this is my style of play. You know, it's not for everybody. This is just what I like, and I'm passionate about it. So I, you know, if you find something in there that you like too, that's cool. You know, and and I've got people who I follow on Twitter that I completely disagree with. Um, you know, one guy just recently I, I followed because he likes Pathfinder too, and he loves the tactical side of the combat and all. You know, everything's got to be optimized and that and i'm like yeah hell with that <laughs> you know they could meet a dragon at level one i don't care um but um uh you know and i've got other people who, who you know just i just disagree with fundamentally on how they play the game but it's interesting to hear their their take on that stuff and that's kind of where i come from like i want to give my take and you know my my website it's it's this is how i dnd &D. like that's the tagline that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. And which you, know, is, you don't have to run a West Marches game. But if you're interested, you know, you might be. The other person next to you might not be. That's cool. But I'm, I'm here to give you the info on it. Which I love that attitude, and I totally share it with you just in, like, you know, this age of, you know, divisiveness. I think it's important to just say that. Yeah. You know, I, I find it depressing, to be honest. I, I just, and especially on Twitter, too. Like, I, I tend to block and mute people constantly which is fine like i like the platform because it's got those tools like i i've sh shied away from facebook because it doesn't have those tools like i like the fact that twitter has those tools um and i don't care if it becomes an echo chamber like i really don't it, it's like i'm there to talk dnd and i don't want to get into fights over it you know like i don't i don't like discussions is good and again like i said i follow people who who are completely different from me but um when, when it gets nasty like you know i just tend to end the conversation i'll be like yeah okay you do you i'll do me and you know we don't have to hate each other over it i just think this whole and especially the divide between the more modern players and the older players and i kind of sit in between because i kind of see third edition as a as a kind of the, the fence in between the old and the new it kind of straddles that divide um and so i kind of because i'm, I'm really passionate about that edition I kind of see both sides of it and i kind of like guys we're all just playing the game like just get but, along you know 
yeah, let's let, let's just play the game, and you know, yeah, let's let's argue about rules. You know, I'm, I want to go back to that. Like, let's get on forums and talk about rule. You know, whether you can fire a longbow kneeling down or not. You know, like I just this this whole bringing politics into the game, and you know, I guess that's important to people. But I don't know. I, I just see it as a as a game where you're fighting dragons and stuff. You know, like it's, it's for me, it's a game number one, and I feel like maybe the new school see it as a way of life or like a identity thing. Whereas to me, it's just a game. Like, dude, it's not your life. It, you know, like it's it's it, first and foremost, it's just a game where you roll some dice. You know, you could be I could be mad about Monopoly, you know, and be passionate about Monopoly, but instead I'm just my passion about D and D. When you mortgage your property, you have got to flip it over. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no! You turn it from uh, ninety degrees. You do not flip it over. I could see it now. The forums would be crazy. But simple pieces at my table. Russ, it has been super great talking to you. I yeah. really have to ask you our our required question before we finish up, yep. and that is to somebody who is newly approaching the hobby. What is your you're allowed one piece of advice. You're the old man on the mountain. What are you telling them? Play as much as you can. Just get in and play. Don't listen. Don't listen to the videos. Don't listen. Don't read my blog. Oh, no, read my blog. But don't you know? Just don't don't worry about it so much. Also, get, get the zine. Like, yeah, yeah, and the zine. Yeah, yeah. download the zine. Um, <laughs> but um, but don't just don't worry. Like I see so many people just worried about GMing or worried about, like my first time I GMed stunk. I still remember it to this day. It, it was awful. Even the players called me out on it. <sighs> and now I'm running, you know, multiple, I want to be running multiple games. I've, I've GMed for over 30 years and it, you only get better by doing it. So just do it. Don't worry. Just go in and have fun. I, I love that philosophy and uh, I'll definitely second that. So thanks for joining us um you know no, it's been a blast guys thanks for having thank me thank you so really much talking about stuff uh so uh you know just to uh do, do our closing routine here um if uh, any of the listeners want to find me i'm at the website at at homebrew schmombrew.com or uh at schmombrew that's at s-h-m-o-m-b-r-e-w on twitter uh rodney where can they find you you can find me on Twitter under Dr. Zoggle, D-R-Z-O-G-G-L-E, also on Steam and Twitch under the same names. And if you're listening to this and you like it, please like and subscribe it. And please give us as many stars as possible because we'll take them and we'll love you forever. And uh, Russ, last but not least, can you uh, last minute plug anything you want to and tell people where they can find you? Uh, so all, all my stuff is under Yum, Yum DM, so it's Y-U-M-D-M. Um, nice and simple. So I've got a website um, where you can find all the zines for free. Um, I've got Patreon under the same name, uh, mostly on Twitter. So you can find me again under the same name. So just look for that name and you'll find me. So consistent branding is key, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm a marketer. So consistent branding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, thank you for listening. Um, you can add 150 experience points to your character sheet and catch us next time That's on cool. Homebrew Homebrew.